Well, I'm still excited about church today, (laughs) which I have learned if the pastor's not excited, nobody else will be. And just because the pastor's excited doesn't mean everyone else will be. So both are true. Um, If you're watching by video, it, it is an important announcement that we are not having service tonight. It's supposed to start snowing again and blowing, and so um, if people want to come out live, they're going to have to come out this morning at the 11 o'clock, so. All right, I'm going to let you uh, stay seated during the reading, because it's another long one. We're in Daniel chapter 6, and then we'll stand for prayer. Here we go, Daniel 6. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps, because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, high officials, and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man or ma- who makes a petition to any God or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast in the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you sign, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. 
Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. The NIV says, continually serve. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king then gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them, their children and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius, the king, wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. Then Darius, the king, wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. All right, could we stand together? Lord, you want to speak, not just in church, but in the workplace. You want to reveal your presence to non-Christian bosses and coworkers. You want to reveal your glory out there. Lord, you don't want to just speak through pastors. You want to speak through just regular people that have regular jobs in the workplace. You want to speak to people and and through your servants everywhere they exist. Father, would you lift up our eyes 
to your greater purpose? Could you, could you raise up our eyes to your vision for each of our lives? Please, God, reveal yourself today. Please speak to each heart. God, we're going to trust you together for this. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So I've titled the message, Continual Devotion. Here we have uh, Darius in the NASB saying, your God whom you constantly serve, and the NIV says, whom you continually serve. He says it twice. He says it um, when, when he sends him into the den, when he throws him in, he says, may the God whom you continually serve deliver you. And then when he comes back after he's had this sleepless night, he says, God, Daniel has the God whom you constantly, continually serve been able to rescue you from the mouth of the lions. Why, why did Darius refer to Daniel's faith in that way. Because Daniel's faith was different than his own faith and the faith of those around him. The Persian Empire was a religious empire. Almost every peoples have been religious, but, but religion was about appeasement. Religion, the gods were about angry that you appeased, that you did your duty toward, you made your sacrifice to. The idea that you would be with them continually or want to be around them continually was completely off the table. Religion was something you had to do. It was your duty. It was not your delight. What Daniel, what, what made Daniel stand apart is, was that he was in this thing 24-7 all the time. And it, it, really, it really grabbed a hold of Darius. He's, he's in all the time. And so I've entitled this uh, message, Continual Devotion. What does continual devotion look like? First, continual integrity. Integrity means a number of things, but first, it, 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 it talks about character. The first thing that they go after is to find corruption in Daniel. They are, they're wanting to bring this guy down. Jealousy has risen up. They've gotten wind of the plan. Darius is going to make him the number one guy. And we don't want him raised above us. So we're going to find something against him. And the first thing they sought for was corruption. The easiest way to bring him down is to just look in his closet and find out what wrong thing he has been doing. But the, the problem is, is Daniel is not running for office. Daniel does not have a political bone in his body. Daniel is living his life before God. He is not trying to be like other people or a little better than other people. He's, that's not even on the table. He is living his life. In front of God. And so they can't find any 
corruption in him. When he first came, he was a teenager and he is a captive and really bad things have happened and whatever prayers he prayed had not been answered because the worst has happened. They've been taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar, but it doesn't change Daniel's commitment to integrity. It says in Daniel 1, he purposed in his heart to not defile himself with the king's food. Daniel was not for sale. He was living a life in integrity before God. When he was a captive, this is how he lived. When he became uh, one of the top three in the kingdom under Nebuchadnezzar, he interprets the dream, so he gets exalted. He's, he's serving before God. Even though he's serving in Nebuchadnezzar's court, he's serving before God. And then he gets demoted again. There are two kings after Nebuchadnezzar before Belshazzar. And by the time Belshazzar comes along in Daniel 5, Belshazzar hasn't even heard of Daniel. He doesn't, he doesn't even know Daniel's in the kingdom. And, and it's his mom that has to say, there, there is a, a man in the kingdom who served under your father, actually grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And so they, they find Daniel. Daniel is now in obscurity. He's not in front of everybody like he was under Nebuchadnezzar's reign. He's been serving in security probably for, uh, for 20, 30, 40 years. We don't know. But he's called for to, to read the writing on the wall. And he doesn't have to work up any spirituality because he's just been living his whole life before God. And now he's promoted again in another one. But the promotion isn't a big deal. Because he lives his life before God. There's no corruption found in him. Somebody has defined character as what you are when no one is looking. Listen to David. This is Psalm 101 verses 1 through 3. He says, I will sing of your love and justice. To you, Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have No part of it. David is talking about living before God all of his days. A God of justice. And he says, I'm going to be careful, not just in the palace, but when I'm in my house. When I'm, when it's the end of the day and I'm not living my life before people and it's just me in my house with my family and I get to let my guard down. Well, here's what my guard down looks like. I will set no vile thing before me. I will not violate you in the private place character living your life before God all the time when when Potiphar's wife came to Joseph and and wanted to sleep with him she's like nobody will know it's just the two of us and here's what Joseph said how could I sin not only against your husband but against God it's not just the two of us here God's here God's watching, and I'm living my life before God. No corruption was found in him. 
Daniel did not live to appear righteous. Did you know that it's a tremendous burden to live to appear righteous? It's kind of like, it's kind of like living to appear truthful when you've lied. When you have lied, there's a a ton of stress because you, one, somebody might find out that you lied. And then there's also the stress of, I have to remember how the lie goes because somebody might ask me and I have to remember what the, what the story is. And then I also have to count on other people to keep their story straight. Anybody else that knows what the lie is, I have to constantly be on my guard because I, to, to appear truthful when I have lied. But there's a tremendous freedom in telling the truth all the time. What is that? Well, one, I don't have to worry about people finding things out. And, and two, I don't have to remember a story because it just is what it is. I just, I, I, there's just a lot less pressure. So here's what Jesus said. He said this to the Pharisees. He said, you guys, you guys let, me, let me have that. Yeah, here it is. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean as well. He, said, he says to them in the verse before, don't worry about the outside of the cup. You don't have to worry how you appear. He said, you Pharisees who are whitewashed sepulchers, you're all concerned about appearing righteous in front of people. He says, you blind Pharisees, listen, there's another way to do this thing. Just clean the inside of the cup. You don't even have to think about how you appear then. To appear righteous means I always have to have my best foot forward. I always have to be at my best. Did you know that that wears you out? Because you're on stage all the time then. Until you get by yourself and then you can do what you really want to do and be who you really want to be and, and you don't have to be this fake appearing person. Jesus said, listen, instead of trying to appear righteous, why don't you just be righteous all the time? Instead of trying to appear anything, just clean the inside of the cup, just purpose. You're going to be a righteous person and then you won't have to appear anymore. The outside will take care of itself. You just get to relax. Just, just choose this for your life. Cleaning the inside of the cup. Did you know that Jesus died on a cross and poured out his Holy Spirit so that we could clean the inside of the cup? That he shed blood so that we don't just have to appear something. We don't have to just be religious. We can actually be forgiven and clean on the inside and we can live that way day after day. No corruption was found in Daniel. Because he lived his life before God. Continual integrity. Secondly, they didn't find any corruption. When they couldn't find any corruption, they went after negligence. They can't find corruption, which would bring him down really quickly. So now they're looking for negligence. This is not him doing something sinful now. This is something concerning his work. 
His, how he does his work, him, him forgetting things, him coming to late constantly, him having notices, some, something that wouldn't be overt sin, it would just be negligence. And they look for Daniel's negligence, and once again, they can't find it. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Daniel was of an extraordinary spirit. This is what the king knows. This is why I wanted to make him top. There was a diligence about Daniel. Diligent, to be diligent means to be thorough. To, to not try to take shortcuts. And then it says, haste, diligent leads, diligence leads to profit, and haste leads to poverty. Just because somebody's working really hard and really fast doesn't mean they're a diligent person. Let me, let me, let me give you another proverb. This is Proverbs 12, 24. Here's what it says. It says, the diligent man will rule, but laziness causes a person to have forced labor. Proverbs 12, 24. I sh- I, I sh- I've got it in my notes. It's very close to that. Why do diligent people rule? And why does laziness cause you to be put to forced labor? Well, anybody that's been in college understands this. In college, if you go to your classes and you stay up on your reading and you study and when, you're, when a paper is assigned, you get after it, you get to rule your time. You get to decide when you're going to do what you do and, and when you do it and, and because you have been diligent. If you have been lazy... You are always in forced labor in college. There's always an emergency coming up because you didn't study, you didn't do the work, and now there's a test coming. So now hastily, you, you're, you, and now you have, you have no freedom because you have to study. You have to study all night or work all night or work two nights or work that last week, and you are put to forced labor. And of course, once that gets done, then you've got another test in another class that you didn't study for, that you didn't do all this. So now it's just forced labor. Anybody that's been in college either has experienced this personally or seen someone else, or usually it's a little mix of both. People that are diligent don't have to be hasty. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. Daniel and Joseph are our two examples of people diligent in their work that served before kings. And Daniel, very much like Joseph, um, it, it, it just 
here's what, here's what it said about Joseph. Everywhere he went, in, when he was in Potiphar's house, when he was in Pharaoh's house, when he was in the prison serving as the, as the aide to the prison guard, in all three situations, it says that the king didn't have to worry about anything because J- Joseph was so faithful and so trustworthy that he didn't even have to give an account because of who he was. This is how Daniel was. What an amazing example of integrity for all of us. Continual integrity. Thirdly, his witness at work. Isn't it interesting? (laughs) There is no question about his faith. Everybody knows he's a God guy. He's one of those guys. Darius knows it. This is, this is whatever it looks like to anybody else. He knows that he is serving God. That he is, he is constantly serving God. And his co-workers know it. He's one of those God guys. Once they can't find corruption and they can't find negligence, they're like, okay, well, we got something else on him. He's, the, he's, he's God. He's into God all the time. He had a he had a witness at work. You know what integrity means? Integrity is from our word. Uh, well, integer is a whole number. It to be integrity means to be whole. And oftentimes, what happens before God is people become divided, and they have one life at church and another life at work. And they don't want the two to mix up. It's called uh, keeping the division of church and state. And I'm, I'm very public when I'm in church, but, but that stays in church. When I'm in the public realm, then um, my, my work is my witness. And I don't, I don't really talk about Jesus. Nobody really knows that I'm, but I, I work hard and I'm honest and, and that's, that's going to be my witness. Well, let me tell you something. Nobody will ever get saved because of your silent witness at work. They won't even think Jesus is good because of your silent wi- They will think you're good. Their faith in God will not be restored. Their faith in humanity might be, but not in God. To be ashamed of God in the workplace, to be ashamed of faith in the workplace, is to not have integrity before God. To not be a good worker is to not have integrity before man. To not be willing to share faith. And I'm not saying we beat people over the head. we, We need to have wisdom. But the Bible says you need to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks a reason for the hope that is within you. With gentleness and with respect. Daniel models this. People loved Daniel. Daniel loved his employer, his non-Christian employer. Nebuchadnezzar had a lot of problems, a lot of issues, a lot of ego. And when Daniel interprets his dream in chapter four, he says, oh, king, I wish this was for your enemies. I wish this wasn't for you. 
He wasn't living in animosity against leadership. He loved people. And here with Darius, how how many people, the Christian gets caught, the Christian gets stuck, and the non-Christian fasts for him all night. Are you kidding me? What's going on here? He lost people. Yeah, he he is a God guy. But it's with this this love and this integrity that's beautiful. So we've got these two things, being being a witness of our faith and being good workers. So here's here's what I want to read to you. Your good work ethic won't bring someone to Jesus without your willing testimony. But your bad work ethic will keep someone from Jesus in spite of your testimony. I'm going to read it again. Your good work ethic won't bring someone to Jesus without your willing testimony. But your bad work ethic will keep someone from Jesus in spite of your testimony. In other words, worst case scenario, you are very public with your testimony and you're a horrible worker. (laughs) You arrive late, you make excuses, you blame other people, you talk behind the boss's back. In in every way, you're just a bad worker, yet you're public with your testimony for Jesus. That keeps a lot of people away from God. They They don't want any part of that. They've already seen that. So we need both, don't we? We need our our willing, unashamed testimony of Jesus. And we need to be good workers. Why? Because we're not working for people. We're working for Jesus. You don't, you don't serve men. You serve God. Do whatever you do. Do it with all your heart to God, not to man. For it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So, but just, just the type of stuff I'm talking about right now is why Daniel is not a favorite in the Bible. David is a favorite. Peter is a favorite. Daniel, not so much. Why, why is that? Nobody likes a guy that never sins. It's too far above us. It's just like, well, that's great, but I'm not, I'm a normal person. I'm, I can't be Daniel. So praise God that there was such a person. Thank God that there are Mother Teresa's, but I'm not Mother Teresa. I'm just, just regular person. Well, here's the thing. The gospel's for regular people. And there's a way to have integrity, even if you've blown it. Here's, here's uh, Isaiah 1.18. This, this I, the, the people up there don't have this verse because I got it just for today. Isaiah 1.18. God says, let us come and reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. My purpose for you is for you to get a new beginning. The gospel isn't for perfect people. It is for sinners. And God, through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, through his shed blood, is able to give us a new beginning every time. So we need to Take that new beginning. 
How do you get integrity at work if you've been a bad worker? Here's how. You admit it. (laughs) You go to your boss and you say, I'm sorry. When you're late, you don't make excuses. You say, I'm late, I'm sorry. And if you get docked of your pay, you don't complain about it. You say, that's, that's fair. If you don't get docked of your prayer, you say, thank you, that you had mercy on me. You don't gossip behind people's backs. You ask God, God, make me diligent. But you uphold integrity when you're, when you're honest. World, the world doesn't ask forgiveness. <laughs> the world system keeps up the appearance. It doesn't ask forgiveness when it's been wrong. How do you get integrity back with God if you've been ashamed and you've been kind of the hidden Christian? You call it what it is, sin. You call it what it is, the fear of man. And you say, God, forgive me (laughs) and wash me and cleanse me. I want to be your Daniel in the workplace. If you have had an attitude towards your boss, could we all take it from Daniel? Let's lay that thing down even though they're not Christian, even though they've got a big ego, even though whatever it is, let's serve Jesus by serving people well. Don't shout me down, folks. I know this is good. Don't shout me down. (laughs) Why don't we leave continual integrity? Let's go to point two, continual prayer. What does continual devotion look like? First, it looks like continual integrity. Secondly, it looks like continual prayer. The Bible says three times a day, Daniel would set apart to be with God, to pray and to give thanks. So we know part of what he's doing is just thanking God, just worshiping God. And part of it, it just says that he... He prayed. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Continued devotion is about this place of prayer. Continual prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 Pray continually. What, what, what is, how do you do this? What does this even mean? To pray continually. First, to define prayer, prayer is not, it is, let's talk about prayer like this, fellowship with God communication with God. And it's not just one way. It's not just you asking God for stuff. It's you allowing God to speak to you. As far as what was Daniel doing? We know he was giving thanks for what God had done, but we also know that part of his prayer life was listening to what God is saying. If you look in Daniel 9, verse 2, it says in in the first year of Darius, 
uh, Daniel started asking God according to his word in Jeremiah that the captivity was only going to be 70 years. The 70 years was up when Darius came. The 70 years of captivity in Babylon was done. It was a new empire. It was time for them to be free. God's word promised it. God's word said it. And so he's lifting God's word that God had spoken to him back to God. If you want to have an active prayer life, I want to encourage you to start with Bible reading. Let God speak to you and then respond to God's word, God's promise, God's command to you. This is really one of the secrets to continual devotion. It is very exciting to have God speak to you. In Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel appears to Daniel and here's what he says. He says, don't be afraid. You are highly esteemed by heaven. You are highly valued by heaven. How do you become highly valued by heaven? How do you come, how do you gain heaven's esteem? Did you know that every single one of us can gain heaven's esteem? It says in Isaiah 66 too, it says, to this one will I look. The NIV is, to this one do I esteem or hold in high regard. To the one who is humble and contrite of heart, who trembles at my word. You want to be esteemed by heaven? Then pay attention to what God has said. Well, I wish God would speak to me in dreams and speak to me, you know, with voices and speak to me. You know what? That's extra. You got to pay attention to what he's already said in his word. We've got one year Bibles out there. I try to make them available. These are a tremendous Christmas present for someone else or Because I know how Christmas works. You get out there shopping and you decide some presents are for you. (laughs) You People look in the cart and they're like, well, who's that one for? Oh, that one's for me. You want to get yourself a present? Get yourself a one-year Bible. And purpose before God that you're going to be in the Word. I've been in the one-year Bible for 30 years or some 32 years It doesn't work for every personality because I know this because I've got a lot of other personalities, even in my family, but my, oh my, for me, it just works. I've got, I know exactly what I'm going to do every day. Here's the old Testament. Here's the new Testament, little Psalm, little proverb. I I don't spend any time worrying about where am I going to read? What am I going to read? How I feel today? I just get my coffee. I get down to my spot. I open up to whatever day it is. Today was December 11th. And there it is. It's all right there. Pay attention to God's word. This is supposed to be fellowship where God speaks to us. And then from that place, we speak back to God, not just a wish list like he's Santa Claus, but he is our Lord and our savior. And we share fellowship with him. Continual prayer. I, uh, a few weeks ago, Greg, Pastor Greg spoke here and 
he said something that I just was, I'm like, this, this is the word of the Lord for this church. He talked about savoring God's presence. He gave the illustration of, of Dave Bechtold. We had, we, somebody had treated the pastors to a steak dinner and, and Dave would take a bite and he would just mull over it and he would just, mmm, 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 mmm. If you've ever seen the movie, What About Bob? Ah, <laughs> ah. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Do you know that God gave us millions of taste buds so that we would not just eat food for survival, but that we would enjoy food? That we were meant to part of our gratefulness for eating is that we enjoy our food. That, that this, it would not just be our duty to eat three times a day, but it would be something that we would look forward to. No one congratulates a teenage boy about how disciplined he is when he has three meals a day. Wow, how do you do that? No, are you kidding me? They would have 10 meals if you didn't stop them. Anyway. Thanks, bro. Did you know that God has given us spiritual taste buds? That we were, we were created to savor the presence of God in his presence, his fullness of joy. At his right hand, our delights forevermore. But sometimes we have to learn that. We have to learn to make God our delight and not just our duty. We need to, learn, we need to slow down and, and allow the presence of God to become our delight. So I, I was speaking on this at the men's breakfast, that men after God's own heart make God their delight instead of their duty. We're talking about David. David, of course, says Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. That this is God's plan. Delight. And I, I first discovered this when I was, I was first a Christian, first filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, Sunday night, we had Sunday night services at MGT. And Sunday night, different than our Sunday night now, because our Sunday night right now is just a third service of what's going on in the morning. But Sunday night then was a whole different service. And it was always my favorite service. And here's why. Everybody that came on Sunday night wanted to be there. Sunday morning, you had just by the nature of things, you get a lot of people that are doing their duty. Sunday morning, we go to church. We've made a commitment to this. We're going to do this. We're going to have our family in church. We're going to lead. We're going to, we're going to put God first. And so we're going to come on Sunday morning. But on Sunday night, that was a different deal. No one had to be there. But the greatest part of Sunday night was the altar time. Because here's what happened on Sunday night. We would, Pastor Heckman would close the service. Well, it was, we never closed the service. You just come to the altar at the end. 
And it was usually Julie Dobie playing piano and just singing the old songs. And I discovered something. It was at, the, at that time that God's presence became the most lively. And I would just, I would just sit on the altar stair, stairs and just enjoy God. And just, I just, it couldn't, it can't be any better than this. From 1984 to 1992, when we went to Faustin, I always went to youth camp. I was, I started out as a counselor, then I was the dean of counselors, and for every single year, youth camp up at Spencer Lake Bible Camp was one of my favorite places. But, but the favorite time at youth camp was interesting, because... At the end of the, they always had a high-powered speaker that was funny and enjoyable and just amazing youth speaker. And so he would call everybody up to the altar and everybody would come to the altar. I mean, that was just, we knew that was happening. Come to the altar, we'd all come up to the altar and wait on God. But that wasn't my favorite time. My favorite time was after that little time at the altar, most of the kids would get up and go to the canteen and do what they wanted to do. They've been waiting to do this all day long. They go to the canteen, and there's nothing wrong with that, and, you know, the social guy-girl thing, and who do we like, who do we don't like. But there were always a few that would stay at the altar, and the musicians would always stay there. And these were people, they could easily have put on a CD, or probably in that day it was a tape, but they didn't want to. They just wanted to keep worshiping. And I always look forward to that late night time because I knew that's, that's when the presence is going to come the strongest. There's something about this, folks. Don't be in a hurry in the presence of God. Learn how to savor. Ask God to bring your spiritual taste buds awake. This is, by the way, the answer for life-controlling addictions. The idea that you're going to get over them just by not doing them and you're going to just have a resolve to not do it. You know, there's another way. Ephesians 5, 18. Don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing songs and hymns and melodies in your heart. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Get, once you have this transcendent pleasure... Whatever earthly pleasure that has entrapped you, its, its power falls off of you. It's not enough to say no to this world. You've got to say yes to the divine to walk in freedom. Continual prayer. You'll never go continual with God if you don't delight in him. If God's your duty, then you're going you're gonna to have him in a compartment. And so you can get away from him to do what you want to do. Make him your Delight. And one of my big things, uh, we always start the year off with fast, a fast, a five-day fast, and it's, I think it's January 9th to the 13th. It is for this purpose. We fast for five days. I'll encourage everybody to fast different things. We have meetings every night. One of the things that I ask people to fast of is media. Stop looking at movies and computers. Turn your phones off or limit your phone use. And come out and instead be with God. And let's develop as a congregation a taste for the presence of God. Let's get past duty 
and enter into delight. God takes us where we are. It usually goes from desire, boy, I'd really like to have a relationship with God like that, to discipline. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a one-year Bible and I'm going to start trying to do it. But you're, you're, you're not there yet. It's desire starting, then you put some disciplines in, and then eventually delight. And when, once you're in delight, you'll stop even noticing discipline. It just becomes your breath. It's the, it's the easiest thing in the world to have a quiet time because you can't go without it. <laughs> and then finally, continual. What does continual devotion mean? Continual integrity, continual prayer. And then finally, continual serving. He served. This is what grabbed Darius's attention. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Isn't it interesting that even though Daniel was serving him and was serving the kingdom and doing it with great diligence, that Darius recognized that his service was actually to God and he was just a benefactor of Daniel's devotion, serving people for Jesus' sake. This is the key to joy. Listen to this. Jesus says, for I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed, you are happy, you are joyful if you do them. Jesus had already taught this earlier. The greatest in the kingdom is the one who serves. And so he comes to the Last Supper, and they think they're all above serving. So he puts on the towel, and he takes the role of the slave, and he washes all of their feet. And they're they're very uncomfortable about this. And Jesus gives his explanation here. Listen, what I just did, this is an example of how you're to live. You're, You're to be willing to do anything. To wash other people, to help other people, to strengthen other people. There is no job that is below you, below your dignity. Uh, I want you to embrace a life of serving. And if you know about this, if you know that this is true, there's no blessing for knowing it. (laughs) Blessed are you if you do it. If you will grab a hold of this secret for living. So I learned two really important things about serving when I was in my first church where I was the lead pastor was in Faustin, Minnesota. I learned two very, very important things. And uh, (laughs) the first one was when I first got there. Because I, you know, I, I'm brand new to this thing. It's a country church. It's, it's, uh, it's way up north. It's a town of 1500. And, um, I'm learning how to do church. I've been, I've been at MGT. I was a college and career pastor. There were many pastors on staff. It was exciting. It was, I was with college kids all day. Now I'm in Faustin. 
city of 1,500, a church of 200, and um, I'm supposed to do um, Sunday morning, and I'm, we do, we do a sing-along sing on Sunday night, and I'm supposed to do Bible study and prayer on Wednesday night. And so I get to Bible study and prayer, and there's like eight of us. And seven of them, six, six of the, six of the, the crowd, the crowd are women. And there's one man and they've all been in the church for 50 years. They've heard every sermon any preacher has ever spoken. They are eons beyond me as far as all of the experience and life. And here I am teaching the Bible to these and I'm just like, I'm just like, Lord, this is not what I signed up for. I signed up to, to change the world. I'm supposed to be changing the world. And I, I, I'm, we're in a fish tank here. And I, here's the first thing I learned about serving. We are not called to change the world. We're called to serve. Only Jesus changes the world. We are called to serve. It is our privilege to serve wherever we are. And the Lord showed me what a privilege it was to serve these old ladies. And I just started looking forward to it. They became my best friends in the church. When things went really dark and hard, they were my supporters. They were standing by me. You don't get to choose the platform of your serving. Not even Daniel. Daniel starts out, he's a nobody, then he becomes a somebody, then he becomes a nobody again, then he becomes a somebody again. That's, that's God's decision. And it'll be different in different seasons. We are called to serve wherever we are. Now here's, this, here's the second thing. People don't have to like you for you to serve them. People don't have to like you for you to serve them. So we had a lot of, a lot of troubles in the church at Faustin. The Toronto blessing had broken out and the American church didn't know what to think of it and God was moving in great power and, and it, it created in some great fear that this was deception, that this was somehow this, the, the, the presence of God and the laughter and that this, this was at best flesh, at worst the devil. And so we, we just had a number of manifestations of God's glory among us and it created fear in many. And so... Um, a, a group rose up and, and uh, to, to get rid of me. And it was headed by a deacon in the church and he said There's, there is a group of 30 that are demanding that you renounce Toronto and what's going on there um, or for you to resign. I'm like, okay, okay, let's... Let's talk. Can we talk about it? And so I kept setting up times where, we, where I would meet with the 30. And, but I found out after like three times where they canceled, they didn't want to meet with me. 
They, they had filled all of the mailboxes with uh, propaganda against Toronto and against this thing. And, but they didn't want to meet with me. They wanted to get rid of me. There was a, they were systematically going house to house to the members to try. It's time for our pastor to go somewhere else. So I want you to pretend you're me and it's Sunday morning. And here's the problem. Here's why I have to leave because they don't leave. This is a small church, small community. It's not like they've got another church they can go to. This is their church. They're not leaving. So here I am. I have to come and I have to preach every Sunday and it's impossible because I have 30 people. There's nothing I could say that would, that they would be blessed by. They don't want to talk. They just want to get rid of me. They're just mad. They're mad every Sunday. Mm. So here's what I learned. I can't please them. There's nothing I can do to please them. But that doesn't mean I can't still serve them. That my joy does not have to be hostage to whether somebody else likes me or respects me or honors me. That my joy is in Jesus and I am free to serve people. And so I I learned it Sunday after Sunday. And I'm not saying I was good at it. Because uh, it was hard. But every Sunday, I'd, I have to say, I don't, I don't have to grow this church. I don't have to be the big guy. I don't have to. All I have to do to please God is love these people and serve them, regardless of how they treat me. Now, I want to give you the secret to unhappiness. Okay, get your pen out. Here's how to have an unhappy life. Spend your time and effort making sure that you are loved and honored and respected by those around you. Tie your joy to how others treat you. You will be a mess. Some people overtly will tell you they don't like you. And other people will say they do like you, but you don't believe it. It's very suspicious. And you spend your life trying to evaluate and trying to get them to to like you or get them to visit you or get them to honor you. And, And then it just becomes this horrible thing. Then they try to make an effort, but it's not good enough, and da-da-da-da-da, and, and you, you become hostage to how other people treat you. If you're willing to serve without any strings attached, you're free. You can have joy in any environment. Doesn't matter whether you're captive, whether you're one of the top three, about to be the top dog. Doesn't matter if you will make serving, serving others for Jesus' sake, your goal, you're going to walk in in heaven's joy. So here's the, here's how I want to end. Retirement. I want to talk about retirement. When people draw pictures of Daniel in the lion's den, he's usually a teenager. 
Daniel, when he came to Babylon, was a teenager, probably 15. In the lion's den, 70 years have passed. He is a minimum of 85 years old in that lion's den. We have got a culture of retirement in this country. And I just, I just, I want all of those 50 and older to, to, to get, stop making retirement your goal. Because there's no permission in the kingdom of God to stop serving. I've actually heard people say, well, praise God, now that's somebody else's. My tour of duty is over. You know what? When a soldier's tour of duty is over and they come back to stateside, if they're a true soldier, they'll find another way to serve here. So yes, sometimes praise God, you're done with your secular job, but you're still in the kingdom. You're still alive. You're still here to serve, to be a blessing. Get excited about the adventure. God, where do I serve next? Daniel was serving which wherever he was. He's 85 years old and he's one of the top three. About to become the top guy. Why? He's got an extraordinary spirit. Did you know, folks, as we get older, that we become more amazing? Did you know that? The outer man decays, but the inner man is renewed. Spiritually, you get stronger as you get older. Yeah, but you're weaker in your body. Yeah, but but God shows his power through weakness. You're the best Christian you've ever been. And now you're going to retire? Come on. All right, could we stand to our feet? We're going to have the worship team come. We're going to do something special this morning, but I, I want to pray for two groups, and then we'll do the special thing. <coughs> First one is you are here, and you need to reason with God. <laughs> you, you, you become conscious of your sins. And you need to get washed again. You need to get a new beginning. Maybe it's your first new beginning. Maybe you've lacked integrity. Maybe it's been before man and you just, you've just been a kind of a sloth at work and you just want to repent. Maybe, maybe you thought your job was below you and below your education. So you gave yourself permission to not work hard or to not work with all your heart because this isn't worthy of your skills. Stop it. <laughs> You want to repent. Or maybe you've been the silent witness and you need to repent before God. God says, hey, I'm here. It's snowing out. I'm here today to make you as white as snow. I'm, I'm all about a new beginning. I died so you could have a new beginning. I want you to make it. To make it, not just to heaven, but make it even in this world. So if either one of, of those are you, would you just open your arms like this before the Lord and I'm just going to pray. Lord, forgive us for when we really haven't worked for you. Forgive us, God, for when we've just lived comparing ourselves to man or just trying to appear to be something instead of being the real deal before you. Lord, wherever we work, whatever job we do, we say we are willing to serve. We want to serve. Anoint us for your service, we pray in Jesus' name. And we receive your forgiveness now. Lord, if we've been the silent, ashamed witness and kind of kept our faith in a little compartment, 
Forgive us, Jesus. You died publicly for us, and we are willing to go public for you. Even if we're persecuted like Daniel was. Even if they're talking about us in the break room like they were about Daniel. Lord, forgive us. You are worthy for us to take a stand even in the workplace. Okay, and then I want to pray for everybody that's 50 years or older. Would you just open up your arms right now? If you're 50 years old or older. Lord, we have a whole culture of retirement in this country. We have a whole, the whole story is, is that, you, you know, you kind of go out to pasture when you get older and, and you, you, you get your public check and, and you just kind of watch TV and, and now young people get to do it and young people that have energy and strength and, and you're, you've got permission now to just sit on the couch and, and think about your grandchildren. Lord, we rebuke that in Jesus' name. We rebuke that over each other and we rebuke that over ourselves. Lord, I I speak to the Holy Spirit inside of every believer 50 years and older, Lord, that the fire of God would come. That these would be our best years. That when you get to the end of 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 a race, especially a marathon, you don't slow down. You get a new kick. Jesus, you said you saved the best wine for last. I break every unworthy vision that we have of the end of our lives. We're going to go out strong. We're going to go out like Moses and Caleb who had strength and sight that equaled their day. Lord, let your fire burn. And God, wherever we've accepted a lie, break it over us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's how we're going to end. No dismissal. You dismiss yourself whenever you want to. We're going to turn the lights down. We're not going to have ministry teams up here. And if you want to just savor the presence of God, if you want to stay for one song, you want to stay for a couple, you can sit, you can kneel, you can come forward. If you need to leave, we totally understand. But I have a feeling you want to be here or you wouldn't be here because you had every reason to not be here. So God bless you.